G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. I realised there was a lot of validity in not just going over all the problems and trying to fix the problems or staying focused on the depression or the anxiety, but rather focusing on what can we do to build that capacity and that well-being. From our own personal experience with mental health and training as a psychologist, our guest today, Sharon Garrow, will unpack how she supported her own children through anxiety and worry, and we'll also discuss how you can support your own children suffering from mental health issues. That's Sharon Garrow with myself, Brett Ryan, for Focus on the Family Australia. Well, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here again. I mentioned in the opening introduction that you've dealt with your own mental health issues. Can you just give our listeners a bit of a a summary, uh, because they can listen to part one of this conversation, but a little bit about your own journey? Yep, sure. So in my early childhood, it was yeah quite dysfunctional, lots of moving around, parents that were divorced, living in a children's home for a while and so forth. And um, I guess looking back now, I'm a psychologist. I know that some of the things that were adding into that was probably a bit of a predisposition to having some depression and anxiety mm-hmm. because my parents had it. Um, and then through adolescence, you know, called incredibly shy, but just now realising the huge anxiety that I carried with me all the time being in that sort of fight and flight response. And so that's when I really started experiencing anxiety, but tried to keep shoving it down. And then it really, you know, displayed itself when I left school, Um, you know, from childhood mostly trying to avoid things. Um, When I left school, I had to face a lot of things and I just didn't really have the capacity. Yeah, yeah. And... Throughout all this, you had to grapple with faith Mm. and saying, well, if I'm a Christian, I shouldn't Mm. be dealing with all these issues. So how did you come to any conclusions through that? Yeah, look, and that has been a really evolving one. You know, while I was studying psychology, I guess you learn all of the different theories and different things. But at the time, I had a lot of people at church sort of questioning, why am I studying psychology? Like, why do you need to know that? That's not Christian. And not agreeing with them totally, but being a little bit confused, you know, because I had such a desire to want to help people, that was still my motivation. I want to help people and I need to get the credibility or I need to get the title so that I can do that. And so when I was studying it, you know, there was so much information. Some of it is very questionable, but others of it, it's really interesting. You learn lots of things and you think, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that Mm. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So it did leave me with a lot of confusion about how I put this together with my Christian faith Mm. and my beliefs. And so on one hand with psychology at that time, and I want to really highlight this because psychology has changed in the last 15 years or so, 20 years. At that time, it really was still very much focusing on the disease model and trying to identify what is wrong with people. So there was a lot of focus on depression. These are your symptoms and classifying it and anxiety and all the other things. 
So at that level, I also, it didn't sit well with me to just put people in a box and think that was your job done. And so in my early career as a psychologist, I really struggled with that because people would come to me and I'd be so opposed at wanting to diagnose them because I'm thinking, I don't want to just figure out what's wrong with them. I want to help them find what's right with them, what's good with them. So coming back to your question, because I guess of the things that I was learning and then also my own struggle with not having my depression healed through all the prayer I had, Mm -hmm. through all the fasting I did, the deliverance ministry I did, through trying to be a good girl, a good Christian, and, you know, give up like pretty much all my life to serve at church and do all of these things, I still had depression and anxiety. So at that time, my biggest question to God was why? Like, yeah. why won't you take, why don't you care? Why won't you take this away from me? And what conclusion did you come to? Well, for a long time, I didn't come to a conclusion. It just played into that feeling that I had of that rejection and abandonment that God didn't really, well, no, I knew that he cared because I knew the Bible was true, yeah. but I just figured, you know, well, maybe I'm not important enough. Yeah. That whole thing, like God's love is finite. It was like, oh, there might be more people that need healing than me, so don't worry. I'll just go to the end of the line and not worry about being healed. So there's all those sorts of things. So for a long time, that was the case. And it was only actually in the last probably 10 years, so now I'm nearly 48. Mm -hmm. So in the last 10 years, what I've started to realise, and through this new evolution of psychology that starts to really look at how do people grow and build capacity and what are they doing when they're doing well, which Mm -hmm. aligns so much better with the Bible. But um, I've started to realize the reason God didn't heal me, like he could, he's a good father. Mm -hmm. He could have done that. But if he healed me, there are so many things I wouldn't have grown in and I wouldn't have developed. And I honestly believe he cared more about my growth than about me just being comfortable. Yeah. And... I believe you would have greater empathy for the people who you get to help as well. Yeah, well, that's it. That part I think I always held close to me because whether people said it or or whether it was just something that I knew intuitively, I was like, okay, doesn't matter. Once again, all things work together for the good for those who love him. I know that this will make me a better counsellor. Yeah. And that was true. That was true. But up until a point, because then it was a matter that what I found is when I was working with people, again, I wanted to go into this to help people. But what I found is that with that level of skill I had at the time and the models that I'd been understanding, what I was doing was I was able to empathise with people so well. Yeah. I could support them. I could even explain a few things. But I, I wasn't able to get them to a point of moving on in healing and growth. And I really, for many years, felt very stuck and I was so confused because I knew God had called me into this profession. I knew it was so meaningful to me, and yet most of the time I felt so anxious and stressed and unsatisfied at doing it. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time to realize why, and it was because deep in my heart I wanted to help people grow and overcome their issues and I guess yeah to use the word that's often used become more resilient but I didn't have the skills to do that um so I started to already have a feeling that this was really important about growth and transformation and then it probably came a bit later it was like 
oh, okay, well, if I want this for people and I can see it's important, then hmm, maybe that's what God wanted for me too. And that's why he didn't just take it away because that wouldn't have been good for me in the long run. So let's unpack that a little bit, you know, like your aha moment, if you like, that you realize that you need to develop those habits, the behaviors, the thought patterns. Um, Some people will say, well, you're a theorist. Well, you weren't a practitioner, but then you started putting them into your own practice, into your own life. Does that mean that, you know, you've got three children, that all your children are, you know, all well protected, you know all what to do with them. Mm. And then even with your students that you deal with in a school setting, does that mean that they can get fixed really quickly or is it the journey that we all need to go through? Well, yes, of course they can get fixed really quickly because I worked the special solution for the magic solution and the <laughs> magic wand that I can use. <laughs> no, it does not mean that. Um, so, yeah, I actually have four children, but one is already grown and married, so there's ah. three at home. And so, obviously, you know, every parent's thing is I don't want my kids to go through what I went through, yeah. you know, the difficult times. Yeah, I understand. And, and we see this generationally. We see that then we go to an extreme and it sort of goes back and forth. So, I guess, you know, to even back it up a bit, I realised my dad didn't want me to go through what he went through when he was growing up, which was having to really fight for himself and not have any financial assistance and things like that. So, he was very focused on working hard to provide for us, but that meant then he wasn't around emotionally. So then I wanted my kids to always feel like they were loved and nurtured and had a parent there. I thought, well, I'm going to role model to them from the beginning that, you know, if they make a spillage or something, it'll be like, that's okay, that was just a mistake, we can clean it up, you know, that I'd help them express how they were feeling and doing all those sorts of things. But I think... A lot of those things are good things, but like with anything, it's also the balance of how you do it. And so with my kids, so we'll start off with my kids first of all, you know, each one of them have had struggles with mental health to some Mm -hmm. degree. Um, My daughter spent the last two years needing to do virtual schools because the anxiety of being at school. And that's many, many parents listening to this would say, that's my son, that's my daughter. They've they've had to deal with these things. That's right. And, you know, even using that example, Brett, even with all my training and with my own experience, it was so hard to know the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, My daughter was just really struggling at being in school with all the noise and with all the changes and with all the different things. And And, and your heart, the mama's heart or papa's heart uh would be, is you want to protect them from anxiety and worry, Mm -hmm. but you need to help them work through it rather Mm -hmm. than just trying to fix it. Well, that's right. I mean, and you want to fix it, right? And you don't know the best thing to do. So I got all sorts of advice because I work at the same school as my kids. And so one was, you know, you've just got to, basically push her just push her in there you know the whole learn to swim by throwing you in the creek sort of thing which by the way is how my dad was taught to swim by my grandfather so one lot of advice was just push her she has to grow through it because otherwise she won't be resilient yeah then you know i've got my own experience of just knowing how sick i felt at school all the time and going i can barely even remember anything i learned because i was so stressed i couldn't take in information yeah um and then what i know about psychology so It was a really difficult time. So what I ended up deciding was, okay, what I do know is she's not going to be able to learn if she's really stressed. So we can either keep trying to deal with two issues here at Mm -hmm. the same time or else let's just deal with first things first and if we can help her emotional 
and mental health mm-hmm. get better, then we can come back at the learning. So we decided that she could stay home and do virtual schools, yeah. which gave her the time to start to work through. Again, her- I think in our first conversation of talking about listening to your own body, mm-hmm. listening to mm-hmm. what they have to say. So parents here, you have to listen to your child and not necessarily dismiss their feeling because mm-hmm. they're experiencing it. It's real. And that's what you have to do with mm-hmm. your daughter. Yeah, yeah. And I did question myself the whole time. Have I copped out? Am I just making it too easy for her? Is she going to develop resilience? And I I still questioned myself. And the first bit, she was just exhausted all the time and so tired and and whatnot. Anyhow, so for two years she did virtual schools. It wasn't the best because she herself said, I need to be with other people to learn and so forth. But what happened, and this is, I guess, the exciting part, is that once she was able to just remove those stressors of, again, the noise, the change, you know, all the peer stuff that goes on, especially in adolescence, and be at home and our family could continue, you know, we took her to a counsellor and just continued to talk to her about her strengths, Mm -hmm. her abilities, how to breathe, how to cope with things. At the end of last year, she said, Mum, like, I really don't want to go back to school, but I know it's the best thing for me. So, can you help me start? Yeah, she she did it herself. Yeah. And so, she's been back at school now for two terms. Mm -hmm. And I am so proud of her because I know she doesn't want to be there. It's not the best environment. She's an introvert, but. She chose to go there because it was the best thing for her. She's putting things into practice now that's helping her to cope. And I've got to tell you as well that I think she's one of the most interesting 15-year-olds that I talk to because just the way her brain works and how she thinks of things big picture Mm -hmm. and has a wider appreciation of the world and just so many things, the maturity she's developed. And I don't think she would have been able to if she was more focused on the fight and flight as I had been. So it did turn out to be the best decision. And when people had questioned me of was I copping out and is she going to be resilient, this is something else that I say to people. Resilience, you know, it's not throwing your child in the creek and going, or I'll learn how to swim. It's doing what we do now where, first of all, we show them how to blow bubbles. Then we show them how to take strokes. Then they can do a lap. No one's born resilient. Research has shown that. It's actually if we're scaffolded and helped along the way that we develop it. And I think that's really a good segue to go into it is that parents listening to this will go, you know, like, I just want to protect my child. But in fact, it's counterproductive Mm. trying to protect them because we need that level of resistance. Mm. We need those obstacles. We need those challenges to build up our strength. That's Sharon Garrow, child psychologist, our guest this week on Focus on the Family Australia. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. From our own personal experience with mental health and training as a psychologist, our guest today is Sharon Garrow with myself, Brett Ryan, for Focus on the Family Australia. 
Um, we spoke about this off air about a biosphere, mm-hmm. about a tree that was developed. Mm-hmm. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. And this is something we teach all of our year sevens. In the 1980s in California, some scientists wanted to see if they could create like a biosphere, so an optimal environment for growing trees and food and things mm-hmm. like that. And I think they also had people living in there. So it was all again, backed up by science. And so it literally was this big cover over a lot of really tall trees. And so what they found is that they planted these trees and these trees grew like gangbusters. They were so tall. But then after a while, they all started just falling over and they're like, oh, well, that's no good. And what they realised is the fact that the tree actually needs the resistance of wind and rain coming against it as it's growing because that's what helps its roots go deeper to withstand, yeah, to develop, to hold it up when it grows. And so that's the same with all of us that we often want to protect our kids and I know how much I always do. I don't don't want them to have fights with their friends. I don't want them to feel left out. I don't want them to feel like they're on the edge of the peer group and all those sorts of things. But if we go in and rescue them and protect them from everything, then we're keeping them in the biosphere that, sure, they might grow in age, they might grow in height, but, you know, similar to me when I was growing up, they might end up then being 20, 21-year-olds who aren't even able to go down to the petrol station and fill up their car because they're so scared or leaving university because they have to talk to people. So we have to let them go through things and that's sort of – What I've come to realise now with my kids that every single time my heart's breaking because I want to fix something for them, I know the best thing I can do is be there with them and acknowledge how they're feeling, let them talk it out because even that for themselves lets them process and then work with them on helping them to decide their options of how they can address this. So it's really empowering them to make some decisions rather than in disempowering them and taking control of everything. And yeah. we, we think we're doing a, a good thing by making decisions for them, but they need to be included in this decision-making yep. process yeah. because they're going to have to follow it through. And if they've had a, an opportunity, they will build up their resilience. They will be able to, you know, firm their roots because they're overcoming the obstacles. Mm. And I think that's a, it's a great metaphor that you have to prepare the soil mm. and mm. allow the wind and the challenges, you can't protect them in bubble wrap forever and allow them to go through that. And so how do you apply that to your students in the school setting? Have you, in your experience, in your practice, has it increased over the last 10 years? Are you seeing more and more oh, children dealing with this? Look, so many, so many, to the point where, um, so five years ago, I went back to uni and I did a master's in applied positive psychology. And what I learnt there was something that I feel, again, that God had been leading me to for the previous sort of 15 years before that, was having a look at what people have within them, their strengths, like their learning strengths, their character strengths, their internal strengths, and working with that to help them improve and overcome obstacles. That's a really shortened version of it. So I realised there was a lot of validity in not just going over all the problems and trying to fix the problems or staying focused on the depression or the anxiety, but rather focusing on what can we do to build that capacity and that well-being. So instead of, for instance, if you're feeling depressed, being able to try and cultivate a habit of gratitude, of looking out for the good things and noticing them. Because again, what we know in the brain is that it's going to create different neural pathways. And the more you do it, 
the easier it is for you to start focusing on those things. So at school, what we do is, again, as a school, um, a few years ago, we approached the board and said that, you know, we wanted to start embedding a whole school wellbeing framework based on positive psychology. And when we explained the strengths-based model and everything, they were fantastic and they were like, it's a no-brainer. Of course, we want to help young people to transform and to become more resilient and to become empowered. So we started teaching explicit wellbeing lessons where we do teach the kids about understanding, first of all, when their body's giving them signs that they're stressed. Mm -hmm. Um, So they learn how to do proper breathing, again, which is a very scientifically based way to deal with stress. Um, But they understand that, you know, if I'm getting a really sore stomach all the time, like don't ignore it. It could be because I'm anxious or something else is going on so they learn a number of skills and to put that into context they also learn about their own character strengths and what character strengths are is it's was based on a five-year research project where the researchers had a look all throughout the world different religions moral codes cultures Mm -hmm. to find out there were 24 characteristics that people tend to use when they're doing well and flourishing things like honesty and spirituality and kindness so our kids find out what their character strengths are and they intentionally use them more. So instead of them thinking that I'm hopeless and I can't do anything, you've already identified that actually you're wrong because you already know that you've filled out this form or identified Mm. Mm. that you've got these traits. Mm. Mm reminding them that they are fearfully and and wonderfully wonderfully made. made. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And that's one of our school's mission statements, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, adolescents are always going through a time of identity formation. Now, they're going to try and figure that out themselves, or we can give them language and positive language to help them do that in a good way, which once again aligns with the Bible. So a lot of the character strengths, as I said, are things that are the fruits of the Spirit. So we get them to know what their character strengths are, and we get them to intentionally use it so coming back to you asked me about creating a new habit of how we're thinking and that Mm -hmm. yeah it's not always easy but these kids are learning to persevere and to put in practices to do that the bible also talks about taking every thought under captivity Mm -hmm. so we have to take mindset of that where are we going spiraling downward or we can actually say hey I'm going to take that thought under captivity. And we spoke about last time, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is a good report, think and dwell upon those things. We don't want to go down that pattern of behavior, Mm -hmm. but we want to change that to think more highly of ourselves and how God sees us and Mm -hmm. he values us and Mm -hmm. he esteems us. We're being bought with a price. He wants to see us flourish and to thrive, not to survive, but to thrive. To thrive. That's right. Now, When we work with what is called the deficit model, which early in my career was just trying to help people cope with anxiety and depression, it's bringing them back to what's called a neutral state. Mm -hmm. So they're just learning how to survive. But what we want to do is we want to help people thrive. It's so good. um, So to build that capacity. So the kids learn all of this. And then we go into detail about some of the strengths that have had lots of research, again, like gratitude, and explain to them how we can change what our brain focuses on. And so when COVID hit, some of our kids, it was tricky for them like it was for everyone. And, you know, they're not immune. However, they were able to, you know, should they choose to, because not everybody chose to, but the ones that chose to use the skills and the strategies that they'd been taught fared a lot better. So we had students specifically say, you know, I was feeling really isolated, but then I knew, well, 
relationships are really important. So I'm going to make a concerted effort to catch up with my friends. Yeah. I knew that appreciation of beauty and excellence is important to me. So I went on walks and I started taking pictures of things that I thought were beautiful. Mm. So they knew what to do. And this is, again, another example of rather than waiting until a problem arises, yeah. let's help build up their capacity. Being proactive rather being than reactive. Proactive. And things are going to happen to all of us. We might be fine right now and go, I don't need any help, you know, yeah. and that's great. But but granted, at one point in our life, something's going to happen and will we then have the resources to deal with yeah. it? In our time remaining, obviously, you've just shared your own journey with your own children dealing with mental health issues. There'll be parents here saying, oh, my child's really right there at this moment. They're dealing with it. They're anxious. They're depressed. They're not doing well. What would you say to a parent to help them navigate this, to support their child mm. during this time? Mm. Well, Look, when they're doing really, really bad, then there's a number of things that are impacting on that, you know, biology, social and psychological. So I think we have to be real. Like with my daughter, I had to take her to the doctor yeah. and she did need some medication for a while to help lift her yeah. out. So then she had the capacity to actually- To get over the hump. To get over the hump and to start making some choices. So I think it's really important to actually just deal, you know, mm. but- you said before, you know, acknowledging that these things are real. It's so important not to be dismissive and not to sort of go, come on, you'll be right, or everyone feels like that. You know, our intention is to try and help them focus on something else. But at that point in time, I think we need to acknowledge and let them know, okay, this is really difficult for you and you are feeling these ways. So, you know, if it's really bad, you need to go to the doctor. Then the second part is I think sometimes you do need to go and see somebody so they can just start to talk through things. Yeah, a third party because mm. sometimes you're too close to them. But then if you're in a state where they're not too distressed – or if they're actually even doing well, I just encourage everyone to, you know, really look at your kids and make sure that you speak out the good that's in them. Yeah. Tell them, you know, I can see that you're really kind. I can see that you love learning and help them pursue those things that they show strengths in because then we're helping them know what their identity is so that then instead of comparing themselves to everybody else or for that feeling that they're not good enough, they know who they are, who yeah. God's created them to be. So I guess that's the short that's answer. Great. But there is so much more. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think that's a great way to end is, you know, see what God wants them to be. Hmm. And we are their first really glimpse of who God is, really. Hmm. You know, and if we continue to affirm them and love them and encourage them and see their potential, then they can start believing that really God does care. And he is there for me. Mm. Sharon, thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, thank you, Brett. If you'd like to find a free video series on anxiety in children or talking about mental health and well-being, go to familycast.com.au. If something that we have shared has stirred up some feelings that you need help to process, we highly recommend the Christian Counselors Association of Australia. Their website is ccaa.net.au. I'm Brett Ryan, and we look forward to you tuning in again for another edition of Focus on the Family, Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.